don't have enough time to read all the best articles on Bitcoin and the crypto economy? Well, let me read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. The L2 protocol is an update to the Lightning Network that could really simplify and streamline the channel process in Lightning. Uh, and that is what we are reading about today. Uh, and who better to go to for breaking down this new development for us other than Aaron Van Veerdem and Bitcoin Magazine. I'll have some great additional things to explore in the show notes, uh, links to the interview we had with Aaron and a few other things. Uh, so don't forget to check that out. But let's go ahead and jump into the no input class, how a Bitcoin soft fork could simplify Lightning. Bitcoin's Lightning Network, the overlay protocol for fast and cheap transactions, consists of payment channels. These payment channels today rely on a somewhat complex fallback mechanism to keep everyone honest and require some level of alertness from its users. This could be simplified. A small group of Bitcoin and Lightning developers is working on a new class of SIGHash flags with names like SIGHash underscore no input, SIGHash any previous out, and SIGHash any previous out any script. One or several of these could see deployment as a soft fork protocol upgrade in the not too distant future to help streamline the Lightning user experience in two big ways. Here's how. The No Input Class Any Bitcoin transaction consists of several pieces of information. These, for example, include inputs, the data that unlocks coins, outputs, which lock the coins up again, specifying what is needed to spend them in the future, and more. Additionally, at least one cryptographic signature is added. The signature corresponds to the public key, and thus the Bitcoin address, of the coins being spent, so it proves that the coin owner indeed wants to spend them. The signature signs the new transaction, proving that the owner agrees with how the coins are spent. However, this signature does not need to sign each part of the new transaction. Using a SIG hash flag, the creator of a signature indicates exactly which parts of the transaction are being signed. For example, while SIGHash all indicates that most transaction data is signed, just not the signature outputs, SIGHash none indicates that only the inputs are signed, not the outputs. There are a few more SIGHash flags. Now a new class of SIGHash flags is being proposed. No input, any previous out, and any previous out any script which we'll refer to in this article as the no-input class. This no-input class indicates that the outputs and some other transaction data will be signed, but not the input. By not signing the input, it is possible to take a transaction even after it is signed and rewrite it to swap in a different but compatible input without having to generate a new signature. Of course, more often than not, there wouldn't be any other compatible input. The signature still corresponds to a specific public key, and this public key should be associated with a specific coin. Swapping in a random input would break this link and make the transaction invalid. But there are some exceptions where the input can be swapped. The Undesirable Scenario First, an undesirable scenario. While it is discouraged, it's possible to accept several transactions on the same Bitcoin address, protected by the same public and private keys. If the same address is used to accept two transactions worth, say, one Bitcoin each, this does result in two different outputs. These two different outputs could normally be spent only through two different inputs in follow-up transactions. However, 
If one of the two coins is spent with a no-input signature, that signature doesn't specify which of the two outputs is actually spent, and the signature corresponds with either. They are protected by the same public and private keys. This means that someone can rewrite the transaction even after it is signed to swap in the other input, thereby spending the other coin. In fact, the same transaction could be copied and rewritten to be broadcast twice with the same no-input signature, claiming both coins even when the sender meant to spend only one. This would be undesirable indeed, and it is why the no-input class is not intended to be used in regular wallets. But there are also desirable applications of the no-input class. L2 The first and most important potential application of the new SIGHASH class is an alternative type of payment channel for the Lightning Network. All Lightning channels are really just unbroadcasted transactions that spend funds from an address shared by two users. These users update the channel by signing and exchanging new transactions from this shared address every time a payment is made or forwarded between them. The latest, quote, state of the channel, an unbroadcasted transaction, is the only real one. Broadcasting an older state would be cheating. Participants in these channels are currently kept honest through a setup that includes penalty transactions. Broadcasting an old state allows the channel partner to follow up with a transaction that claims all of the funds in the channel. This should and usually does suffice to keep participants honest. The problem is that broadcasting an old channel state isn't necessarily done intentionally. It may also be caused by a software bug. Sometimes it can happen due to an honest mistake, like a software backup gone wrong. In these cases, having all of your funds drained from a channel is a very painful punishment, and some consider it too severe. L2, proposed by Blockstream's C Lightning developers Christian Decker and Rusty Russell, and Lightning Lab's L&D developer Lao Lua Shintakan, offers an alternative. With L2, both payment channel users hold on to a copy of the same unbroadcasted transaction called the update transaction, representing their funds in the channel. This transaction is signed by both users, so either can choose to broadcast it at any time, and it will confirm on the blockchain. If someone broadcasts the transaction and it does confirm on the blockchain, the funds can subsequently be spent in two ways. One, both parties can spend their share after a time lock has run out, for example, after a week. Or two, the funds can immediately be spent to a newer mutually signed update transaction. Indeed, in L2, update transactions are chronologically numbered. Update transaction three can spend the funds from update transaction two, and update transaction two can spend the funds from update transaction one, but not the other way around. This is actually already possible with the current Bitcoin protocol, but because the inputs of an update transaction need to be signed, specific update transactions can only refer to a specific output from a specific update transaction that came before it. Update transaction three could claim funds from update transaction two, but not from update transaction one. This isn't very practical. If there are, say, 100 update transactions and the very first of these is accidentally or intentionally broadcast, the quote-unquote real channel balance could only be restored by broadcasting all subsequent update transactions. Update transaction 1 spins to update 2, which spins to update transaction 3, all the way to 100. This chain of transactions would present a big burden to the Bitcoin network. And it would require many fees, more or less defeating the purpose of using payment channels in the first place. L2 is therefore really only useful if update transactions can be skipped. Update transaction 3 must be able to spend funds not only from update transaction 2, but also directly from update transaction 1. It's this skipping that requires the no input SIGHASH class. By swapping the input, 
the latest update transaction can always be rewritten to refer directly to any other update transaction. And swapping inputs is possible because no matter which previous update transaction is picked in a payment channel, the required signatures are always from the same two users with the same two public and private keys. An L2 example. So here's what L2 would look like in practice. Let's say that Alice and Bob have an L2 lightning channel open for a while and the channel's state has been updated 100 times. As such, they both hold on to update transaction 100, which spins funds from Alice and Bob's shared address. It represents the latest state of the channel and is signed by both of them. Both Alice or Bob can choose to broadcast this update transaction at any time, in which case they can claim their share of the funds after, say, a week when the time lock expires. It's actually more likely that they would opt for a regular cooperative close if they do close the payment channel, as they wouldn't have to wait a week to spend the funds, but never mind this for now. Now, if Alice accidentally broadcasts an old channel state, say update transaction 13, and this transaction confirms on the Bitcoin blockchain, the funds are also time-locked for a week. During this week, Bob can take update transaction 100, rewrite it by swapping the input to refer to update transaction 13 instead, and broadcast this. Bitcoin nodes and miners on the network see update transaction 100 and conclude that it is valid. It refers to a chronologically earlier update transaction, and it includes valid signatures from both Alice and Bob, as required by the output in update transaction 13. So once update transaction 100 is confirmed, both update transactions are included in the Bitcoin blockchain, with all the funds waiting in update transaction 100 for a week until both participants can claim their share. Though Alice and Bob could again speed this up with a cooperative close. So despite Alice's mistake, the channel was closed according to the latest channel state, attributing to both Alice and Bob what they are owed, without any further punishment and without requiring update transactions 1 through 12 and 14 through 99 to be broadcast at all. Lightning Watchtowers L2 payment channels are useful in and of themselves, but they also benefit another Lightning Network innovation. Watchtowers. To avoid being cheated on, with or without L2, Lightning users must keep track of the Bitcoin blockchain to see if an old channel state was broadcast. If that does happen, they have some time to respond and correct the situation, a week in the examples above. Currently, without L2, this response consists of a penalty transaction, which drains all the funds from the channel and lets the honest user claim it. Importantly, every previous state of the channel has its own unique penalty transaction. If a payment channel was updated 100 times, both participants must hold on to 100 penalty transactions. That's 200 penalty transactions in total. There are some ways to reduce this data, but the difference is marginal. With L2, this is no longer necessary. No matter which old state is broadcast, a payment channel user can correct any of it by simply broadcasting the latest channel state. Both users would only need to hold onto a copy of one and the same update transaction and rewrite it to swap the input if needed. Watchtowers in particular could greatly benefit from this. Watchtowers are a special type of service provider on the Lightning Network that monitor the blockchain for other users. If they see a cheating attempt, they can broadcast the transaction that sets the record straight, presumably in return for a fee. The presence of watchtowers would make cheating practically impossible. However, a watchtower monitors not just one channel, but potentially thousands or maybe even millions of channels. All of these channels are updated frequently, and two new penalty transactions are created with each update. Thus, the number of specific penalty transactions a watchtower must hold on to could quickly balloon. With L2, 
watchtowers would only ever need the latest backup transaction for each channel, a much more sustainable model, making watchtower deployment more feasible. Deploying the no-input class. There are currently two concrete proposals for the new SIGHASH flag class. The first one is no input, initially proposed by Joseph Poon and Thaddeus Dreja in the Lightning Network white paper. It has now been drafted into a more concrete proposal by a C Lightning developer for Blockstream, Christian Decker, and formalized in Bitcoin Improvement Proposal or BIP 118. No input was recently rebranded to any previous out any script by a Bitcoin Core contributor for Zappo, Anthony Towns, who has also proposed any previous out. There is a BIP for this set of proposals as well, but it doesn't have a BIP number yet. Both any previous out any script and any previous out are largely based on no input, but are specifically designed to be compatible with Taproot, another proposed Bitcoin Core protocol upgrade. On top of that, any previous out signs a bit more transaction data and adds a feature designed to avoid the undesirable scenario described in the beginning of this article, to prevent an input being swapped against a user's will, for example, after accepting several payments on the same address. This version of the SIGHASH flag requires an additional signature called the chaperone signature, and that does sign the input. In L2, this chaperone signature could be created by either channel partner, while this would be a bit more secure, it prevents a third party from swapping inputs, it also makes the SIGHASH option more complex and fee expensive. All in all, while the idea of this new type of SIGHASH flag had already been presented several years ago, no input has really only been taken into serious consideration for about a year, and any previous out and any previous out any script were proposed only some months ago. So far, no single specification of it has been definitely settled on. Decker, Towns, and other Bitcoin and Lightning contributors are currently taking a conservative approach, favoring extensive peer review and room for discussion. As such, it is too soon to say when or if this SIGHASH class will actually be deployed on the Bitcoin network, though it does seem likely that a version of it eventually will be. For the sake of clarity, this article left out or simplified some implementation details. For a full specification of the protocols, see the BIPs for no input and any previous out. Thanks to Christian Decker and Anthony Towns for information and feedback. All right, now that may have been a little bit technical for people. I know there's a lot of words in there, so I want to try to help break this down um, because this is a really, really fascinating change to the Lightning Network. But before we do, let's go ahead and hit our sponsor. I'm going to get something to drink and we'll come back and I'll see if I can't break this down to make it a little bit more audio friendly. All right, so let's jump into this. And uh, first, just a huge thank you to Aaron Van Veerdum uh, for writing this piece, um, as always. And of course, BitcoinMagazine.com. I'm actually wearing my Bitcoin Magazine shirt at the moment and uh, I've worn it to the meetups last couple of times. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so uh, I've been like low key advertising for them for like a couple of weeks. <laughs> but um, uh, so uh, as I've said before, I really rely on a lot on a couple of publications, Bitcoin Magazine magazine really being number one on what I should be digging more into. Um, like I like I use their sort of vetting process. So I've really I really do like love. They are just a wonderful resource. Um, and I cannot recommend them enough. So let's jump into this piece, though. Um, so I, I find that just the constant input-output like explanations, like because like those are the specific terms, but it's so hard to follow sometimes. Like I know I get lost sometimes, even when I'm like trying to explain it, particularly when like a current output becomes an input in another transaction. So like when you're referencing it in the uh, transaction where it was created versus the transaction where it was spent, it's, it's not the same or it doesn't sound the same in the explanation. So I, I understand that this stuff can get complicated or really hard to follow, particularly in audio. Um, so let's just start at the beginning and I'm just going to kind of walk through this article. Um, 
first, well, like what is the no input class? And like what are we what are we talking about when we mean inputs and outputs in a transaction? So an input every transaction spins from an input and sends coins to an output. So it's where the coins currently are to where they're going to go, and that output also includes whatever instructions uh, required to spin them. So uh, and those instructions can just be the person with this public key needs to uh, needs to sign to send them, which is just a normal transaction. Or it can have a time lock. It can have a um, a couple of limits or restrictions. It can have a specific uh, next output that you have to spend it to, et cetera, et cetera. You can like do all these funky things with the script, and that's how you make um, uh, the lightning a, a lightning channel. Is it's a um, a series of scripts for how the next time these coins are spent can be spent. And that is all just in the output. Uh, and the input is which coins are being spent um, and, you know, satisfying whatever instructions are required to get them out of uh, said location, said account or address, whatever you want to call it. And those instructions generally include, or well, I, mean, I guess they sort of have to, um, what needs to be signed, like what data needs to be signed, uh, how, how much needs to be included versus how little needs to be included in order to validly um, release those Bitcoins to a new owner or validly take control of those Bitcoins. And that is the, the SIG hash flag indicating which part of the transaction needs to be signed. So the main ones are, uh, and that he uh, talks about briefly uh, in the article, are sig hash all, and that's the, that's the default. That's just the all inputs and all the outputs are signed, and therefore none of the data can be changed uh, without invalidating the transaction. And this is the very, obviously, the normal and secure way to transfer funds from one uh, Bitcoin address to another Bitcoin address. And then we've got sig hash none which is essentially saying that none of the outputs are signed. I have to sign the inputs because uh, the previous set of instructions, the previous SIG hash still needs to be fulfilled, and that's probably, hopefully in my situation, would say that only if I sign it with my private key does, do these coins get unlocked. So I still have to sign the input because I have to... I have to unlock the coins that already exist in a box locked on the blockchain. And, but uh, a SIG hash none says that nobody, like there's, there's nothing, it's attached to no specific output, which means that somebody could grab the transaction after I broadcast it and put their output in it and just spin the coins to themselves or the miner could do it. Or, I mean, literally anybody who has the information, the signature is valid no matter what the output is set in because the SIG hash clearly says, don't worry about the outputs. Just make sure that the, the original input is, uh, uh, conditions are fulfilled. So it sounds like, like it seems like, why, why the hell would you need that, right? That seems a little bit bizarre. Well, it, it's actually used so that, um, uh, I guess sort of in like, a, like an aggregating way um, uh, such that you can actually sign with your input like the where your coins are coming from, but you can also sign a list of other people's inputs. So like, let's say you've just got one address that you're spending out, and then there are nine other participants who are going to do this with you. Well, you can sign to make sure that all of those other inputs are included, and you can have an organizer essentially uh, sign the end result that says as long as Everybody in this group, all 10 addresses, get signed with the SIG hash none of all the individual parties. And then someone, and then you have like an organizing party uh, sign it with then the SIG hash all uh, instruction. Well, then I can basically sign to be a part of a large group of inputs that I can know won't change. And someone else can delineate the output who's maybe like the organizer of this aggregate or something like that. But I know um, without the signatures of the you know, 10 other addresses included, it's invalid. So it's, it's, it's kind of like a, as long as everyone else is spending um, all of these uh, current Bitcoin balances, well then, uh, I don't care about 
any other uh, any other outputs. And this is just using like special circumstances like this. Um, and then there is actually, which was not mentioned, there's sig hash single, which is uh, kind of similar in use case in a sense. But I'm agreeing to, if I'm saying sig hash single, I'm moving a specific amount of Bitcoin to a specific place. So just like our previous example, except I am, I'm adding an output specifically. Um, and uh, rather than just saying, well, you just put in whatever output you want. Well, uh, I'm doing it. I'm signing it with um, uh, the available inputs to the transaction and saying this is definitely the output. So as long as all of these other people who I'm including, all of these other inputs are signed as well, well, I don't really care what they add to the outputs as long as exactly this amount gets sent to the one output that I did sign. So what is this useful for? Um, well, this is kind of more a, a explicit way of doing, uh, or a more secure from uh, my standpoint of using the SIGHASH none. Uh, this is a little bit more, it's, it's sort of the same idea, is that I'm going to make sure that I sign all of these inputs, so as long as these other parties sign as well, that uh, this transaction will be valid, but I'm also signing that I know exactly where at least one of the outputs will go. I'm signing just that output and that output and that amount can't be changed. So a, a situation where we might use this is that, let's say you and I are jointly paying for some lawyers, like some legal service or something, and um, we both want to contribute half a Bitcoin to this. This is going to be a one Bitcoin legal service of some sort. And I'm going to contribute half a Bitcoin and you're going to contribute half a Bitcoin. But currently I have a half a Bitcoin exactly in an address and you only have an address that has one Bitcoin. So you need to be able to include a change output because you're signing over a full one Bitcoin transaction. But I don't need to know or... Uh, I shouldn't have to know what that change output is, and I shouldn't have to sign that change out because then we got to like exchange information back and forth a whole bunch and agree on all this. Well, what if I just sign my half of Bitcoin as as a part of the input, and then also sign that exactly one Bitcoin will go to this output, the lawyer that we are paying, and then you uh, add your one Bitcoin address. And because I'm using sig hash single and I've only signed the one output, well, you can then just add your other output of your 0.5 Bitcoin paid back to you um, to the change address so that you've only spent one Bitcoin and you just haven't signed over one full Bitcoin when you're only trying to spend half a Bitcoin. Um, and by the way, if, if I guess some of you may not know this, obviously, um, but any Bitcoin that are spent in an address you have to spend the entire balance of the address. You can't break that up. Um, so if one Bitcoin is uh, sitting somewhere on the Bitcoin network, when you sign it, that full Bitcoin has to move. I can't sign it for just 0.1 Bitcoin. What I do on, or what's happening on the back end is I'm signing, if I'm going to give somebody 0.1 Bitcoin, is I'm signing to send 0.1 Bitcoin to specifically this output. And then 0.9 goes to a new output that is just also in my wallet. So it never leaves my control, but I do have to sign it from the place that it was to the new place in which I control it. Um, and of course, that would be done with SigHash all. That's the one where I'm signing everything and nothing can change. And if anybody fidgets with it at all, well, then guess what? You, it's no longer valid. Um, all right. And, uh, and then there's SigHash anyone can, anyone can pay, which is a... Uh, uh, can be used in combination with each of the others for like a couple very specific um, things and like the one SIGHASH none and then SIGHASH anyone can pay is one of those ones that's just like just just dumps Bitcoin into the ether. Anybody, anywhere can just grab it. Um, and uh, uh, so it it's actually can be used as like a proof of burn uh, almost. But uh, none of that's important for this discussion, so we won't go that far into it. But I just kind of wanted to cover those a little bit just to give you a brief idea of kind of what's happening and what those tools are. And these, these SIG hashes are essentially the, 
um, commitments to exactly what data in the transaction cannot be changed. It's signed and essentially stuck. And this is part of the script, like the, the encumbrances. So like OP, like the op codes then in that instance would like check SIG would refer to what the SIG hash flag is in order for checking the signatures. Um, and then that's when you would go through your script on which signatures need to be checked because then you could build a two of three situation where I have my inputs and outputs signed in a uh, SIG hash single, you have one in a SIG hash single, and somebody else does, but you only need to fulfill two of the valid signature requirement in order to fulfill the script. So um, all of this stuff can be used in combination for, even though there's not, there's only a handful of these like sort of scripts and stuff, like there's, they're very limited, they're like Lego blocks. You know, like with nine different shaped and sized Lego blocks, you can still build some pretty elaborate stuff. Um, and there's actually another one from Bitcoin Magazine that I recommend reading a mini script um, that is coming to Bitcoin hopefully soon, uh, which is another really interesting thing to dig into just because it simplifies uh, the, the language of the script in order to just make it a whole lot easier to understand. Like, like so that you can clearly see that this part over here will not execute in, except as a result of this other part. Whereas currently it's a little bit, because it's like a stack language or whatever, um, it's really kind of hard to, it's not intuitive to look at it and be like, okay, well obviously this part uh, happens first and then when this, ex blah, 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 you know. So um, Miniscript is definitely one that I encourage you to actually go digging into if you really like this uh, super techie stuff. So that leads us to the no input. Um, and again, there's three different names for this hash, uh, the SIG hash flag, um, but they're roughly the same thing. Uh, they do have variations, but it's no input, any previous out, and any previous out, any script. So these all commit to the outputs of a transaction. Um, exactly where the Bitcoin are going to go and who owns what. So where does this, uh, where does the end result of what we've set up from our uh, previous moving of coins, the only available location for it to end up. So I'm going to sign that I have an output that specifically says I get back, you know, 0.5 Bitcoin if our agreement with this lawyer gets wrong and or goes wrong. And as long as it's being used with the same public key, um, uh, I might not be so concerned. I'm just guaranteeing that I get my 0.5 Bitcoin back, right? That whatever is valid from uh, the joint address that we are dealing with here that requires both of our signatures, I know that I am only signing it in such a way that definitely 0.5 Bitcoin is coming back to me. But that's what leads us to the possibility of the undesirable scenario and why we wouldn't use it for a normal transaction. Because let's say um, uh, I've got a, uh, let's go back to our same agreement. Um, you're spending 0.5 and I'm spending 0.5 to our joint lawyer. And uh, uh, this is actually going to be in a two of two account until our business deal or whatever it is gets sorted out. Uh, well, while it's there, um, if I'm signing, if we're signing this with um, just the, with a no input signature, well, in the undesirable scenario, let's say I got 0.5 Bitcoin into um, an address, but then there was another situation, like a transaction that happened later where I got another 0.5 Bitcoin um, to that same address. Well, on the blockchain as quote unquote unspent outputs, which is what they're called, they're separate. I have to refer to both of them in order to spend the full Bitcoin. But um, in, if I'm only spending a half a Bitcoin, I can just pick which one I want to refer to as my input. However, if I don't pick which one, since they're locked behind the same public key, the same address on the chain, well, as soon as I sign for one of them to an output that goes somewhere, let's say to the lawyer or something like that, well, since I'm signing the information but excluding the input specifically, 
that signature is valid if somebody else swaps the other 0.5 Bitcoin in because it's behind the same public key. And I didn't worry about delineating that it is exactly this one output that, um, that I can spend coins from. So that would be bad if we use that normally because then reusing an address just means that uh, signatures that I have already signed for completely different transactions that were un totally unrelated can now be used to um, take every set of funds that uh, uh, can be reused, can be essentially recycled um, to continue moving co any coins out of that address into the same output that I signed the first time because the output is the only thing that can't be changed. So in short, where the coins come from just need to be the same public key and is not concerned with a specific previous transaction, but instead any transaction to that public key. Uh, but where the coins going are going to is set in stone because uh, I have signed the output, but I have not specifically delineated what the input is or where the coins are coming from. But therein lies what makes this so powerful and what makes it such an innovative thing. So currently in channels, um, uh, and he actually goes through that uh, there actually already was a sequencing uh, thing. In fact, Satoshi Nakamoto, extremely early on, like right at the very beginning of Bitcoin, already talked about, he, he developed really in a sense, um, or we're talking about at the very beginning of this thing, the idea of payment channels and a sequencing of off-chain payments. But that was the problem with the, uh, the simple sequencing system that he came up with then that was a, no more efficient in the case of a dispute than just normal transactions. And the example that uh, Aaron give, gives in this article uh, is that um, if we've updated the channel balance 100 times, but then you publish uh, the very second update, which you know, no longer has the valid balance and doesn't have the ones that I own, the only way I can prove that transaction 100 in this sequence is in fact transaction, a valid transaction 100 is if I show that, okay, uh, from two, we agreed to uh, uh, publish going to uh, address number three, and then from three, we agreed and both signed to send it to address four, and et cetera, ad infinitum until like you get to the end of the chain. So while uh, a cooperative close, close would mean that, okay, yeah, we just broadcast transaction 100, well, you could cause such a headache and so much pain to someone during a dispute it makes no sense and it doesn't cost them anything. They could at least just try and then just see what happens when you try to cram a hundred uh, transactions into the blockchain all at once. Um, and obviously it would do nothing for efficiency or block space. In fact, it would make it worse because now you're using all these joint transactions and joint signatures, which just make the data bigger. But that's, what's cool about L2 and the use of this no input that rather than in the current state of things, is you have, we have asymmetric transactions. We have one on my side, like if, we, if you and I now have a channel, well, uh, when we do an update transaction, we have one that requires uh, you to wait that you have signed, like it gives me a buffer to trust you that I am holding on to, and then I sign a half of the transaction that gives you a buffer to trust me. So essentially, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, holding a transaction that is more beneficial to me and make sure that I have an insurance policy and you have signed it. And then you have one in the exact opposite that I've signed. And that's how we know we can trust each other because we already signed essentially the fallback scenarios of each other's transactions, but we have different transactions, which means we both need to keep up with ours individually. Um, or, you know, there's a problem in like, uh, and then at the exact same time, we've got the other limitation of, every single update along this channel, let's say again, we've got a hundred updates. Well, we have to keep the signed punishment clause, the sign in, signed insurance contract for each individual one so that, because every time we update the transaction, well, there's a new outdated state that um, would now be available as a possible cheating opportunity. So, you know, if we only update three times, well, then there's two cases where someone could publish information that is a cheat, 
in one case that's valid. But if we've got 100, well, then now we've got 99 possible cheating scenarios and, uh, again, a single uh, valid state. So I need to keep the punishment clause, the, the, the insurance policy that you signed for me for all 99 of the others. Because if you publish point, uh, or number 87, I got to publish punishment 87. But therein lies a bit of a limitation um, because there's a lot of risk there. Obviously, I could have some sort of a failure and lose some of the data. Um, what if the saving of uh, a transaction 100 doesn't work and I end up like rebooting and uh, have some sort of a hard drive problem or software problem and now I've only got transaction 99? Well, if my node attempts to broadcast or attempts to close that channel now because you know something has gone wrong, well, now I look like I'm a hack, like I'm trying to cheat my, our agreement and um, I lose all of my coins. I lose everything. And again, that's severe. It's a, it's a huge incentive for honesty, but it's, and it's a huge incentive for um, hardwares and, uh, or secure hardware and backups and stuff, but it is also a rather unnecessary risk because, I mean, really, like the, I, don't, I don't think there's still, I have not heard of an example, I think, of an actual malicious attempt to um, cheat a lightning channel just because it's so it's so costly because of that punishment clause. But there have been numerous examples already of hardware or software failures that cause the loss of all of the funds in a channel. And both of those, both of these situations are altered with the implementation of the no input sig hash. Um, or of course any previous out, any previous out, any script. What that means is that transaction 100 now, the, the 100th update to our payment channel, is no longer locked to any previous update. It is simply, uh, uh, it's valid because of the output and the sequence number um, and as, as, as a chronological um, sequence. So the latest transaction, transaction 100, will be more, will always be the valid one and more valid than, you know, transaction 10. But I don't have to have transaction 11 and then 12 and then 13 and then 14, et cetera, et cetera, because I wasn't concerned with exactly which input um, was necessary to fulfill the output that I want. And I can just grab the input from transaction 10 which does not affect the validity of the transaction at all with this new SIG hash, um, because all I'm concerned about is that my output gets funded with the correct amount of Bitcoin, and now I can just use the update number 100 to essentially invalidate update number uh, 10. So that solves our sequencing problem. But the other cool thing is that we no longer are holding asymmetric transactions. I'm no longer holding uh, you know, my favorable half of the transaction, and you're no longer holding your favorable half of the transaction, is that we're actually holding the exact same data. So rather than every new update state having two separate transactions to keep track of and two separate punishment clauses, we have one set of data that includes everything that we need, and we've both got the signed copies of it. And that's that part of it is how this is such a huge benefit to watchtowers because go back to our 100 transaction updates and needing to keep 100 uh, punishment clauses because uh, you know I can't chill I can't like let's say you know we've got our channel together I don't I don't necessarily know you or trust you you might be real s sneaky malicious you know Dennis the Menace over here so <laughs> what um so uh the watchtower has to keep every one of my punishment clauses but then at the exact same time, or, or keep enough data to restore the punishment details, the, the punishment part of the transaction when they, when they see the transaction ID of a previous one on anywhere in that like group of 100. But also a watchtower has to store, a, either a different or the same watchtower has to store all the same punishment clauses for the other party. Um, so... This not only immediately shrinks in half because we have the exact same data, but the exact same time, it now, it's now just one state 
for each channel. It's just the most recent one because now they don't need states one through 99 either, and they only need one state for the final one. Uh, so it just, it just, the watchtower uh, ballooning of data requirement is just gone. It's just, just no longer there. It's just the, it's strictly the number of backups are strictly related to the number of channels that are necessary. And the watchtower would need the most recent or latest update to the channel. And that would be enough to um, essentially solve any dispute that happened at any point in that channel. Even if there's been 10,000 transactions to go over this channel and it's been open for a year, uh, none of it matters. All we need is transaction number 10,000. And we can swap whatever input of any cheat that happens from 1 to 99,999 and uh, grab that input place it into transaction 10,000 and it is it will validly give me back exactly the amount of bitcoin that I am owed. So this is a really powerful change to lightning that simplifies its imp implementation, uh simplifies its backup process, um mitigates the uh huge risk in um like a failure of hardware or something like that and and simplifies the network watchtower model of uh essentially outsourcing the um uh the policing essentially of the channel uh, participants and that's just a really powerful tool in the creation of these new layers uh, uh new network layers on top of bitcoin and uh, another really important thing is that l2 even though it seems like an, a very different construction of lightning is totally compatible it's it's like I can have my uh, traditional lightning connected to your uh, L2 lightning and we can both use you can have your channels be L2 and then our channel is just my traditional lightning and it, there's there's no reason you can easily bridge with you know a, a normal lightning channel on the left hand and an L2 channel on the right um, it's just a different risk tolerance. Um, and that's, that's why there is actually a little bit of pushback from this model because developers, the extremely adversarial conditions of Bitcoin and the nature of these open networks, like open global networks, you don't want, you want to make sure that incentives are aligned to punish bad actors. And in the case of L2, the punishment clause is really gone. It is no longer a part of it. So... Essentially, there's not much cost for me to try to broadcast transaction 10, even if broadcast, uh, even if transaction 100 will invalidate it, because I'll still get my coins when transaction 100 invalidates number 10. Um, so I, I don't have much cost as a cheater to not try to cheat every single time. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously that might mean that. Um, my reputation on the Lightning Network as a reliable node uh, will go down significantly and probably no one will open channels with me or accept channels from me. Um, but regardless of that, uh, you're still, you don't have any part of the actual contract that says, I'm going to punch you if you try to cheat me, essentially. Um, so there is, still, there is still a bit of a trade-off there, um, even though I think it's a much simpler and uh, really fascinating a new piece of the extension of these protocols and the uh, continued development into making these things simpler, simpler, more secure, and more fail-safe uh, against common scenarios. All right, so I think, I think that'll wrap it up. I think that's everything I wanted to go through. Um, but a huge thank you again, one final time, to Aaron Van Vierdem and BitcoinMagazine.com. Um, and I cannot recommend them enough. Definitely check out BitcoinMagazine.com. Get your copy of the 10th anniversary edition on their store. They got a lot of goodies and a lot of the past like physical magazines. There's just something novel about that that I love. I've got three copies of the thing. <laughs> so I have, uh, I have every version, uh, every uh, use that I could have for it. I have my um, uh, looks really nice so I can sit it out somewhere. And then the one that everybody's going to read uh, and is kind of wrinkled 
and all messed up. And then the one that never leaves, it's plastic. So I've got, <laughs> I've got every version uh, or every use of this magazine covered. Um, and I highly, I highly recommend it. It's a great one. And it's got another uh, bunch of great articles by Aaron Van Verdum in the magazine. So tons of other stuff to explore there. And of course, I will have listed in the show notes the article about Miniscript um, from Bitcoin Magazine, which is another great one to cover. Um, and uh, uh, maybe I'll do, I've, I'll connect some reading available to go a little dig into these uh, opcodes and uh, SIG hash stuff if you really want to geek out on that for some time. And uh, lastly, a link to Aaron Van Vierdum's, uh Twitter page and the conversation that we had with him on the show which was tons of fun, and uh, you'll learn so much about the guy's an amazing writer, and he's been in Bitcoin for a long time, uh, so he's got a fascinating things to say, and I highly recommend that episode as well. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. I am Guy Swan, and this is The Crypto Economy. This is the podcast where you get audio versions of all the most brilliant works and uh, developments and fascinating ideas in the Bitcoin and crypto economy space. And if you would like to support this show, there are two things you can do for me. One, you, become a, you can become a Patreon, um, which we've had a number of new Patreons recently. Crypto Dread, Kirk, and Jake, a huge thank you to you guys and welcome to the Telegram group. Um, and uh, if anyone else wants to join that Telegram group and help support this project of turning everything into the audio version it deserves in the Bitcoin space, well, you can do so at patreon.com slash the crypto economy. As little as $1 will get you in the Telegram group and it goes a long way. Every dollar counts. But if you can't do that, the one thing that you definitely can do and that is much easier and less costly is to simply share this out with everyone you know in the Bitcoin and crypto economy space who is unable to read all of this amazing work and doesn't know that it's right here in audio, ready for them to consume. So thank you guys so much. Share this out. Subscribe if you have not. I'm Guy Swan. We are out. Until next time, take it easy, guys.